This is section three of Mark Twain, a biography, volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 107 Howells, Clemens, and George. Howells and Clemens were visiting back and forth rather oftener just then. Clemens was particularly fond of the Boston crowd, Aldrich, Fields, Osgood, and the rest delighting in those luncheons or dinners which osgood that hospitable publisher was always giving on one pretext or another no man ever loved company more than osgood or to play the part of host and pay for the enjoyment of others his dinners were elaborate affairs where the sages and poets and wits of that day and sometimes their wives gathered they were happy reunions those four gatherings though perhaps a more intimate enjoyment was found at the luncheons where only two or three were invited usually aldridge howells and clemens and the talk continued through the afternoon and into the deepening twilight such company and such twilight as somehow one seems never to find any more on one of the visits which howells made to hartford that year he took his son john then a small boy with him john was about six years old at the time with his head full of stories of aladdin and of other arabian fancies on the way over his father said to him now john you will see a perfect palace they arrived and john was awed into silence by the magnificence and splendors of his surroundings until they went to the bathroom to wash off the dust of travel there he happened to notice a cake of pink soap why he said they've even got their soap painted next morning he woke early they were occupying the mahogany room on the ground floor and slipping out through the library and to the door of the dining-room he saw the colored butler george the immortal george setting the breakfast-table he hurriedly tiptoed back and whispered to his father come quick the slave is setting the table this being the second mention of george it seems proper here that he should be formally presented Clemens used to say that George came one day to wash windows, and remained eighteen years. He was precisely the sort of character that Mark Twain loved. He had formerly been the body-servant of an army general, and was typically racially southern, with those delightful attributes of wit and policy and gentleness which go with the best type of negro character. The children loved him no less than did their father. Mrs. Clemens likewise had a weakness for George though she did not approve of him. George's morals were defective. He was an inveterate gambler. He would bet on anything, though prudently and with knowledge. He would investigate before he invested. If he placed his money on a horse, he knew the horse's pedigree and the pedigree of the horses against it, also of their riders. If he invested in an election, he knew all about the candidates. He had agents among his own race, and among the whites as well to supply him with information he kept them faithful to him by lending them money at ruinous interest he buttonholed mark twain's callers while he was removing their coats concerning the political situation much to the chagrin of mrs clemens who protested though vainly for the men liked george and his ways and upheld him in his iniquities Mrs. Clemens' disapproval of George reached the point now and then where she declared he could not remain. She even discharged him once, 
but next morning george was at the breakfast-table in attendance as usual mrs clemens looked at him gravely george she said didn't i discharge you yesterday yes miss clemens but i knew you couldn't get along without me so i thought i'd better stay a while in one of the letters to howells clemens wrote when george first came he was one of the most religious of men he had but one fault young george washington's but i have trained him and now it fairly breaks mrs clemens heart to hear him stand at that front door and lie to an unwelcome visitor george was a fine diplomat he would come up to the billiard-room with a card or message from some one waiting below and clemens would fling his soul into a sultry denial which became a soothing and balmy subterfuge before it reached the front door the slave must have been setting the table in good season for the clemens breakfasts were likely to be late they usually came along about nine o'clock by which time howells and john were fairly clawing with hunger clemens did not have an early appetite but when it came it was a good one breakfast and dinner were his important meals he seldom ate at all during the middle of the day though if guests were present he would join them at luncheon-time and walk up and down while they were eating talking and gesticulating in his fervent fascinating way sometimes mrs clemens would say oh youth do come and sit down with us we can listen so much better but he seldom did at dinner too it was his habit between the courses to rise from the table and walk up and down the room waving his napkin and talking talking in a strain and with a charm that he could never quite equal with his pen it's the opinion of most people who knew mark twain personally that his impromptu utterances delivered with that ineffable quality of speech manifested the culmination of his genius when clemens came to boston the howells household was regulated or rather unregulated without regard to former routine mark twain's personality was of a sort that unconsciously compelled the general attendance of any household the reader may recall josh billings remark on the subject howells tells how they kept their guests to themselves when he visited their home in cambridge permitting him to indulge in as many unconventions as he chose how clemens would take a room at the parker house leaving the gas burning day and night and perhaps arrive at cambridge after a dinner or a reading in evening dress and slippers and joyously remain with them for a day or more in that guise slipping on an overcoat and a pair of rubbers when they went for a walk also how he smoked continuously in every room of the house smoked during every waking moment and how howells mindful of his insurance sometimes slipped in and removed the still-burning cigar after he was asleep clemens had difficulty in getting to sleep in that earlier day and for a time found it soothing to drink a little champagne on retiring once when he arrived in boston howells said clemens we've laid in a bottle of champagne for you but he answered oh uh, that's no good any more uh, beer's the thing so howells provided the beer and always afterward had a vision of his guest going upstairs that night with a pint bottle under each arm 
he invented other methods of inducing slumber as the years went by and at one time found that this precious boon came more easily when he stretched himself on the bathroom floor he was a perpetual joy to the howells family when he was there even though the household required a general reorganization when he was gone mildred howells remembers how as a very little girl her mother cautioned her not to ask for anything she wanted at the table when company was present but to speak privately of it to her miss howells declares that while mark twain was their guest she nearly starved because it was impossible to get her mother's attention and mrs howells after one of those visits of hilarity and disorder said well it most kills me but it pays a remark which clemens vastly enjoyed howells himself once wrote your visit was a perfect ovation for us we never enjoy anything so much as those visits of yours the smoke and the scotch and the late hours almost kill us but we look each other in the eyes when you are gone and say what a glorious time it was and air the library and begin sleeping and longing to have you back again end of chapter one hundred and seven howells clemens and george read by john greenman